went out too, so his seed sing amen, alleluia. So the wheat among the weeds, alleluia. Some fell away and some took root, yielded a hundredfold of fruit. Believe in the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I can't speak for what happened here at Ascension, but when I was a kid in the early 70s, my church in Louisiana was committed to trying out the various experimental prayer books that eventually became the 79 version. At the same time, we also started having guitars lead us in folk hymns, especially in services that were geared to young children and families. So clearly something about that stuck because here I am singing to you one of those songs 50 years later. I went on YouTube to see if I could find anyone else who sang this particular arrangement, if we can call it that, of the parable, and I came up short. But in the process, I went deep down a rabbit hole of parable of the sower songs. There are a lot of them out there, most of them ghastly, as I'm sure you can imagine. But it feels like the existence of so many songs about this particular parable speaks to its enduring hold on our minds and on our hearts. What is it about this parable that makes it so compelling? Let's start by putting it in context within the wider reach of Matthew's Gospel, because it comes at the start of a whole chapter, chapter 13, that is chock full of parables some long and some short. So why does Matthew put this one first? Commentator James Allison thinks that it's because this one is the key to all of the others. By starting with this parable, Matthew primes us to enter more deeply into the ones that follow. So what is it about this one that makes it the key. Allison reminds us that the two chapters before this, 11 and 12, have been all kinds of stories of people asking, how are we to interpret your words and signs, Jesus? First, we hear John the Baptist in prison sending his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Then we see Jesus interrogated by the Pharisees when his disciples pluck grain to eat on the Sabbath. After that, Jesus cures a man with a withered hand and a man with a demon. Along the way, the scribes literally ask him for a sign. And lastly, his own family members come, hoping to speak to him, 
But Jesus instead points to his disciples and names them as his true family. The parable of the sower then is Jesus's response to all of these questioners. It's also by extension a response to our questions and doubts and confusion. So the very first thing we learn from this parable is that Jesus knows we have questions and doubts and confusions. The second is that Jesus wants us to feel safe asking those questions. And the third is that Jesus wants to answer us. But given how important his response is, how we hear it makes a big difference. So often when I was a young person, I heard this parable as a condemnation. It's kind of a sorting mechanism, a sorting hat like Harry Potter. My gut response was, I don't want to be rocky ground or weeds or thorns. What do I have to do to be sure that I'm not like any of those? But here's where it gets really interesting because this parable isn't about us. We are not the subject of the parable. The sower is. And when we realize that, we come to understand that the parable's purpose is the opposite of condemnation. This parable calls us to freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from worry, freedom from that constant nagging anxiety that makes us ask ourselves, am I enough? It does so by responding, yes, yes, you are. Even when you have doubts, even when you lose your focus, even when you get caught up too quickly in things that don't really matter. So at its core, this parable is a description of grace. It's the story of a God of wild abundance, a God reaching out to us over and over throughout our lives, even in those dark nights of the soul when we too are unable to see and hear. How blessed we are to learn that God is with us, always seeking to connect, no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how deeply we go down our own private rabbit holes. You might be asking then, why does Jesus use a parable? Why not just speak in definitive language? Why not just tell it to us straight? Strangely, when I first started looking at this parable this week, what came into my mind suddenly was the contestants on the Great British Baking Show making fancy pastry dough. 
You know how they roll and roll the dough and then they put the butter and then they fold it over and they roll and they roll and they fold it over again and again and again. Those efforts create layers and layers of delicious buttery sweetness, all rolled in with love. When Jesus speaks in parables, we have to roll out the dough of the story. We have to think, we have to question, we have to explore. And that process, that turning and rolling and folding, means we remember. We get to savor all of those layers. I mean, people, come on, I can still sing a song about this parable from 50 years ago from memory. I'm not going to sing the rest of it for you. I'll spare you that. But you get the idea. Parables are a form of storytelling, and they capture our imagination in a way that statements do not. If Jesus just told us straight up, God loves you, always, no matter what. We'd remember, of course, but would we believe it? I mean, really believe it? Would we internalize it? Would we feel it in a way that we could hold on to when we were very much at risk of getting lost in the weeds? Parables contain another offering as well, an offering of safety. In Jesus' time, speaking openly was dangerous, and though he knew the road he was walking was dangerous, he also needed the time to teach and preach and heal before his death. Speaking in parables meant his words could be heard in many different ways. Heaven knows, we have learned, to our great dismay, how words can be twisted to mean the opposite of what we thought they meant in these recent years of Orwellian disinformation. Jesus knew that dynamic also. It wasn't new. It isn't new now. He also understood that some portion of his listeners would do exactly that. They would twist his words to their own advantage. Our lectionary leaves it out when he says that to his disciples plainly. Quote, the reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen nor do they understand. By speaking through parables, he leaves open room for many interpretations, some that lead to freedom and trust, and some that do not. Jesus also leaves space for the listener's understanding to change over time. We see that play out in his own group of 12 disciples. Every one of them went through their own struggles, doubts, and confusions, just like we do, because we are those disciples. 
There will always be those who don't want to hear the word of grace or cannot hear it at some times in their lives. Jesus knows this too, and yet he's always there for them, there for us, with his arms open wide, waiting patiently for them to be able to listen and internalize. The last thing I want to say is that we have to remember that Matthew was writing after the resurrection. So he's retelling this story of something that happened before with the hindsight of Good Friday and Easter in his mind. These were words that were spoken to them at a time when the disciples themselves could not fully understand. It was only after the resurrection that they came into a full consciousness. Only after they had each sunk to the lowest possible depths watching their rabbi suffer. Only after they had experienced the liberating grace of Christ among them. Because by then, they had seen everything. They had all, each in their own way, abandoned Jesus. And yet he was still there for them, even through and after his death. The wild, abundant fullness of God's grace was fully manifest for them in the risen Christ. So why then is this parable the key to all the other parables? Because it speaks directly to our own twisting, winding journeys of discipleship. It reminds us that we too are sometimes rocky ground sometimes fruitful soil, sometimes the wheat and sometimes the weeds, sometimes the sheep and sometimes the goat. So where are you on this morning? What part of the path are you walking today? Are you in the weeds? Jesus is there with you. Are you standing on rocky ground? Jesus is there for you too. Are thorns choking you? He's still got your back. Maybe, just maybe you're in a good place today. You are yielding fruit. Every one of these ways is sacred, blessed, and beloved of God. Believe then, my friends, in the word of the Lord. Amen.